0: Well, did anybody uh, watch the first uh, preseason game with the Braves yesterday? Saw a little bit of that. They won. All right, good. Watched a little bit of the Yankees game, too. And speaking of baseball, 2017 was not a great year, was it? We thought it was. I was excited. I thought it wasn't even a Houston Astro fan, but I thought those guys, man, good for them. And then all this stuff comes out about these illegal practices during the season and, and, and during the World Series. And so, some of y'all know about this, some of you may not care, but it works for my illustration today, all right? And I love baseball, so I'm going to talk about it. Well, basically, they were putting cameras that were absolutely illegal in places where they could catch signs from the other teams, and then they were taking the information from the cameras and using other uh, devices to, to process that and... Knowing what the other team's signs were so they would know ahead of time what that team, whether the pitcher was going to throw a breaking ball or a fastball or whether somebody was stealing or whatever. And they knew all this stuff and they were um, you know, sending signals to each other. And some of these signals were as primitive as they were beating a bat on the trash can in the dugout to let people know. And some of them were as sophisticated as actually putting little clickers or buzzers inside their jerseys that would buzz and let them know that a certain pitch was coming or a certain something was getting ready to happen. And I share all this to illustrate what can happen when a team, when a group, when an organization, when a family, or even an individual, when we start to practice things on a regular basis, whether they're good or bad, when we practice those on a regular basis, they can become permanent part of who we are and what we're doing, can't they? It easily happens. And if those practices give us the desired results that we really want, like winning, like success, like fame, like lots of money, then you know what? Those practices will most likely continue because they're giving us the desired effect, which is exactly what happened with the Houston Astros. But then something happened. Somebody felt guilty, and somebody spilled the beans, didn't they? told what was going on and then all of a sudden everybody's sorry and we shouldn't have done that and those practices seemingly have stopped but you know what they've made some permanent consequences in baseball and in relationships haven't they you think about now there are these judgments that have to be made for these practices and do we give people immunity because they told or do we not consequences have already happened and will continue as more people find out and more people are found out People have lost their jobs. Players' stats and maybe careers have been ruined by some of this. Other teams have lost games, lost championships, lost MVPs, or the chance to win fame and money and get what the Astros got. Fans feel hurt, don't they? They feel duped. We feel like, wow, you know, I loved you guys, and now I'm hurt. I can't believe you were cheating like that. Relationships, trust in others trust in the game and the league all have been heard and we've heard a lot of different players speak out about this and now there's a big concern because the 2020 season is starting and there's a lot of mad people and there's a lot of mad people that have a ball in their hand getting ready to face the team that caused all this and they can throw it really hard and they're going to get a chance to throw maybe at these people. And so now everybody's concerned. Oh, we need to, you know, get this cleaned up. But, so I watched a little bit of the Astros preseason game. And just so happens they were playing the Nationals yesterday. And I didn't see anybody get thrown at. But it is preseason. But these things happen. And it reminds me that what we practice matters. What we practice matters always. Always. And it can become permanent. And when we practice, what we have practiced in our lives affects us more than we know. And what we practice in our lives affects others more than we know as well. A lot of times we think it's no big deal. So today I want to close out the series we started back in January We've been called uh, that I've been doing called Practice Makes Permanent. With a look at the last parable that Jesus told before he went to his crucifixion. And this is probably a familiar... Um, uh, parable to you, but before we look at that, it's going to be in Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, verses 31 through 46. But before we do that, when you think about Jesus' parables, uh, I love his stories; they were great. Now, some of them seem to be very simple and easy to understand, and and we kind of nod our heads and go, "Yeah." And then other ones, we go, "What? Now, what was he saying there?" Even the disciples would ask, "What did you mean by that, Jesus? Tell us what you meant." But we can kind of categorize or group Jesus' parables into three categories. The first one is called the parables of the kingdom, and these are the parables that Jesus told at the very beginning of his ministry, and these are the ones where Jesus started out by saying, the kingdom of God is like, and he would talk a lot about agriculture. He says the kingdom of God is like a man who went out and scattered seed in his field, and he talks about how some fell on the path and some in different places, and And he talked about that. So a lot of his parables early in his ministry were like the growing kingdom of God and what it's like. And those were were interesting parables. And then at the middle of Jesus' um, ministry, he started telling these parables called the parables of grace. And these are the ones that most of us like the best. They're about the lost sheep about the lost coin, about the lost son, losing something of value and, and finding that and being re, reconnected with something of value, whether it was a sheep or a coin. And in the, in the case of the lost or the prodigal son, a father and, the, and a son are restored. And we love those. And we go, oh, that's awesome. What a great story. But then when Jesus got to the end of his ministry, right before he was going to be crucified, when he was knowing that he was going to the cross, he told these disturbing parables that we call the parables of judgment, and they were judgmental. And there was judgment at the end, and it was harsh, and it makes us go, ooh, wow. And so when I think about that, I go, why did Jesus wait till the end to talk about the parables of judgment? Why didn't you just get those out of the way at the very beginning of your ministry and then start telling the parables of grace towards the end? But Jesus didn't do it that way, and he didn't ask me either. (laughs) Because God's always going to do it the way God's going to do it. Because he says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. But did he do that because it was the end? And that's when you do, you tell about things at the end, towards the end. Did he do it because he wanted it to be fresh in his disciples and the others' mind when he went to, his, to the cross and, and the resurrection was about to happen? I don't know the answer to that, but I know it was at the end. So we believe... Commentators believe that this was the last parable that Jesus told before he was crucified. And it was a series of, of, of parables, but this was, seems to be the last one. So we're going to look at it. It's probably familiar to you. If you've ever heard it, you'll never forget it. So we're going to look at Matthew 25, verses uh, 31 through 46. And I'm, I'm going to read that. Um, like I said, it's, it's up on the screen. So this is what Jesus said. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will come, the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Listen to this carefully. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and And the king will reply, "'Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me.' Then he will say to those on his left, and listen to this carefully too, "'Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. "'For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. "'I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink.' I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life not a fan of this one, y'all. It's hard, isn't it? But there's something I want to point out that I said, listen carefully. He said from the very beginning to those on his right, you will go to inherit this place that I have prepared for you since the beginning of creation. That was always God's That's what he wanted for all of us. Do you realize that? That's what he prepared for all of us. That was always what he wanted for us all to be with him in eternity. Now that other place he didn't say, I prepared for you. He said, I prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who that was for. I never intended anybody to go there except the devil and his angels. But some people will go there because they absolutely refuse to accept the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to unpack this a little bit, and I know it's kind of awkward. What do we need to know about this? Well, we need to understand that there is a final judgment. Some point in history that's going to happen, and Jesus will come, and he will sit in all of his glory on this throne, and all the angels with him, and Jesus is telling this, and all the nations will be gathered before us, and I can't even imagine what that will look like. I'm trying to think of the biggest venue I've ever been, and it's probably a sporting event at a stadium, and just seeing you know, thousands of people, but think about the whole world gathered, to be judged, and Jesus will separate the people, as he says, as a shepherd, the good shepherd, separates the sheep from the goats, and one group of people will be welcomed into eternity with Jesus forever, and one group will be sent away to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Why do we need to know this? Because here's the deal, y'all, we will be part of that judgment one day, won't we? We all will, because, we have, because what we have believed, what we have put our faith in, what we have practiced in our lifetime, all of that combined will be judged on that day. Because our eternal destination will be decided by Jesus on that day. And because we need to constantly reflect on what we believe, what we put our faith in, who we have put our faith in and our practices, and make sure we're connected to God the Father. And another reason we need to know this is this comes straight from Jesus. He said this is the way it's going to be. So in this parable, Jesus tells this group that he's welcoming to take their inheritance. And again, it was prepared for them since the creation of the world. That's what God always intended for all of us, to be with him forever. And he gives the reason, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And he goes through that whole scenario. And when he finishes the for you part, they say, well, when did we see you? We we don't remember seeing you. And he said, but if you did this for one of the least of these, my brothers or my sisters, you did it for me. And then the other group, he says, for I was hungry and needing clothes, and you gave me nothing. And again, they'll say, "When, when did we see you needing something, Jesus? We missed that. And he says, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did not do it for me. Well, what do we need to do? If I haven't helped one of the least of these in my life, do I need to go out and do that? If I take care of one of the least of these and check it off the box, that means I'm in heaven, right? Is that what Jesus is saying? And if I miss just one of the least of these and I don't give them something to drink or something to eat or some clothes or, or visit them, then I'm going to hell? Is that what Jesus is saying? Now, Jesus gave a specific interpretation of some of his parables in the parable of the sower. The disciples go, man, Jesus, you gotta explain that. I'm not sure where you're going. So he explains it. And you go, Oh, that's what he meant. Okay. And other times they didn't get it. And Jesus even said to him, He goes, Are you so dull? Do you still not understand? Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? You know? But he explained it to him. But you know what? I sure wish Matthew would have given us the explanation of this one, because this one's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. It almost seems like nobody can make it on their own by practicing their works, right? It seems like nobody realized that either they were taking care of Jesus or the least of these or ignoring the least of these or Jesus by their practices. Why? Well, here's what I think. Those who took care of the least of these, they noticed them. They noticed they were human beings. That they were people made in the image of God, just like they were. They were people who were practicing, putting their action, putting action to their faith, their trust. And that they had placed their trust and their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They had placed their faith in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And in so doing, their life practices reflected Jesus, they reflected Jesus' actions, what he practiced, how he would have treated those people, and the good works that God planned in advance for them to do, they were actually doing that through their actions and what they practiced. And those who did not take care of the least of these were practicing. They were putting into action their faith as well. They were putting into action their trust as well, but their trust was not in God and Christ. It was in themselves, in something in the world or in other things other than God or Christ. They had rejected Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe he was a good teacher and had some good parables, but he's really not the Savior of the world that I need to put my faith and trust in. And in not doing these things for the least of these, their life practices reflected not Jesus, but they reflected other things and were not the good works that God had planned in advance for them to do. Now, this is a hard parable, isn't it? It's one that we don't want to take lightly. It's one that can haunt us. I guarantee you, when you leave today, you will think about this parable this week. You'll see somebody in need and you'll think, man, is that one of the least of these? Should I do something so I'll go to heaven? If I don't do something, if I don't stop and help this guy or give him a dollar or buy him a meal, am I going to hell? I don't want you to worry about like that, but I want you to listen carefully to what I think Jesus is saying. Because we might be confused about the parable and the judgment it carries. Make no mistake, there will be judgment, but it comes at the end. Make no mistake that Jesus waited till the end to talk about the judgment, but he did eventually talk about the judgment. But before all the judgment, he told us about this wonderful kingdom that he was establishing in the midst of an evil world. And it didn't mean evil would completely stop and our lives would be wonderful and nothing bad would ever happen. But he says when you put your faith in the kingdom, it will be different because you're connecting with God, you have relationship with God. And he talked about grace. In the midst of this evil world, there is grace. You're never going to be able to follow all the rules. You're never going to be able to take care of all the least of these But when you put your faith and trust in Christ, it does something to you that changes your life. You see yourself differently. You see yourself as how God always intended you, your true identity. And then you start to see others as their true identity, as people of God. But we think about some of the things Jesus said in other scriptures in the Bible. And we want it to be just simple. Well, didn't Jesus say in John 3.16, Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, Craig? Didn't he say that? Yes, he did. He didn't say anything about feeding the hungry people or clothing naked people or visiting people in prison there. He just said, if you believe, you're in. Are you saying that's not true? That's not what I'm saying. Paul in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nothing in there about feeding hungry people. But remember when I first started this series, we read a parable that Jesus told early about a wise and foolish builder. And Jesus said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And Jesus in that same sermon on the mount said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many of us will many will say to me on that day, what is that day, Jesus? The judgment day that he's talking about in Matthew 25. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Yikes. And in Matthew 12, Jesus was talking to a crowd, teaching them about the kingdom of God, about God's grace. And his mother and his brothers were outside, and they said, hey, can somebody tell Jesus that we want to see him? You know, he's out teaching again, and we never get to see him. And so somebody went and told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And this is what Jesus said. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So yes, Jesus definitely talked about grace and it's a free gift that we receive. But we can't get past the fact that he talks about this practice and this doing that has to be a part of showing that we really have received that grace and it has transformed us. It has made us repent and turn from the way we were going to the way that God has asked us to live in the first place. And when we look at the big picture of Jesus' message throughout the Gospels, and even in the New Testament, and all those letters that were written to new disciples of Christ, our faith and what we practice, that demonstrates our true relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? It has to be both. The relationship is first. It is foundational. The authentic trust and love in that relationship should motivate the practice of what Jesus is asking us to put into practice. I can't do it my way anymore. It's not working. I've got to do what Jesus asked me to do. If the relationship with Jesus is not the foundational part of our lives, then what he has asked us to practice is probably not going to follow. And that's why it's so important. James, who was Jesus' half-brother who at first was skeptical of who Jesus was, wasn't really sure that Jesus was who he said he was. He saw all the things, but he was skeptical like a lot of us. But once he made that commitment, his life dramatically transformed. And he wrote this letter in the New Testament where he says, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters, "'if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? "'Can such a faith save them? "'Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food.' If one of you says, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. And then at the end of this chapter, he says this, as the body... Without the Spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now that seems to people over the years have said, well, Paul and James seem to be on different pages. They're not on different pages. They're both the inspired word of the Holy Spirit that God wanted us to hear. So it tells me that the faith in God's grace that he has given to us and the action is a dance that must go together always. Now, some of you will argue or struggle with this today, and I understand that. I do, because you will give a scenario of a person who either does one or the other that you're worried about. Or maybe you're thinking about your own life, and you're thinking, well, what about the person who really has faith in Jesus, but maybe they kind of fell away for a while, and they really believed in Jesus, and they really loved God, and but they just got busy with all their stuff of life and You know, they really never did anything for the least of these or very little. Are you saying, are you telling me they're going to go to hell? Is that what you're saying, Craig? Not what I'm saying. What about the person who does serve? And who has spent their whole life looking for the least of these and and went on mission trips. and, And every time they saw somebody, they did something for them. They did all these great things for the least of these type of people. But yet, because they were hurt by the church. They were hurt by a Christian. They were hurt by somebody who said they were a Christian. And they left the church. And they have nothing to do with the church. And they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But they've done all these good deeds. Are you telling me, Craig, that they're going to hell? not what I'm saying. And Here's the deal. I don't get to make that judgment, do I? And you don't get to make that judgment, because none of us could be objective, could we? But guess what? We're all going to be in that line, getting judged for that very same thing. And when it gets to be my time, am I going to go, well, wait a minute, Jesus, I just saw that you put so-and-so in the line over there with the ghost. I think you made a mistake, because I knew that guy, and I knew that lady, and they were really sweet, and they did all these things, and, and, You think Jesus is going to go, yeah, you know, I didn't think about that, Greg. Should have had you right beside me. No, he doesn't need my opinion because my opinion doesn't matter because my opinion cannot be objective. He says, your ways are not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. And here's the deal. I will not be making one judgment on that day. Only He will. And Jesus has seen every moment of my life. Every moment. Can you fathom that? He has seen every moment of your life. He will know whether you really put your trust in Him or whether you were just checking a box to make somebody happy. He will know if we really practice His words in our life. He will know that without a doubt that He loved us enough to prepare a place for us from the beginning of creation so that we could live in eternity with Him. And he knows that we left and went away from that. But he says, I came to earth and I died a horrific death on the cross and I rose again so that you would have a second chance and you could be with me forever, even after I had already prepared it for you. He knows that. But some people will cling to their belief and their life and their actions and their practices. We're not deserving of death. There's a lot of people in our culture and our world that think, you know what, I just can't believe in hell. And here's why. Because there's no way a good God's going to send people to hell. A good, just God is not going to do that. And as a matter of fact, I haven't really, I mean, okay, I've told some, some lies and I've done some things, but really, I deserve to die for that? That's crazy. There's a lot of people who think like that. And I wonder what Jesus thinks about that philosophy that we're a good person and good people should go to heaven. Isn't that right? How many times have you heard that? I'm a good person, I should go to heaven. If you die today, would you go to heaven? Yes. Well, why? Because I'm a good person. I mean, I've been a good person. What does that even mean? And I wonder if Jesus, what he thinks about that good people go to heaven philosophy. I wonder if he thought that was true when he decided to leave heaven and his throne to come to earth. Because there's a bunch of good people here that needed to be saved. They were all good. Why did he need to leave his throne and come to earth? I wonder if Jesus thought about that. I wonder if he thought that was true when the good people of his day sent soldiers to arrest him and kill him because he didn't like them talking about the kingdom of God, the grace of God, and the judgment of God. I wonder what he thought was true when he was being beaten for his crucifixion that, man, these are good people. They don't need a Savior. I wonder if he thought about that when he hung on the cross for six hours on that Friday for all of humanity so he could absorb all their sins into his body. I wonder if he thought, you know what, I don't know why I'm doing this because everybody's good. They don't really need me to do this. They're good enough. And I wonder if he thought after his resurrection from the dead, I wonder if he thought these good people really didn't need me to defeat death for them because they could do it themselves because they're good. And I wonder if Jesus thought when he commissioned the disciples to go into all the world and make disciples, I wonder if he went, why am I doing this? There's good people all over the world. They don't need to be discipled because they're already good. I can pretty much assure you today that Jesus never thought any of those things. That's why he came. He never had thinks about that. He never thought about that that we were good enough on our own. Jesus knew from the beginning that we needed him as our savior because we are sinful. And our sin cannot stay, cannot be in relationship with a holy God. So that's why Jesus had to come. This is what I believe about this parable, y'all. We will not get into heaven because we take care of the least of these. However... We will take care of the least of these because we recognize we can go to heaven simply because of what Jesus did for us. And that transforms the way I think. That transforms the way I feel. I know I deserve eternal punishment. That wasn't what God prepared for me, but I've chosen that because of my rebellion towards God. And most of the world thinks, rebellion towards God? Craig, seriously? My little things that I do... No, the things that we practice are rebellion against God. And we needed a Savior. And God loved us enough to take our punishment so that we didn't have to go through that. And we could inherit that place that He prepared for us at the beginning of creation. That's what God always intended for us. And my response to God's amazing grace is to practice what my Savior would towards the least of these If I really have faith in Christ, when I see somebody who is the least of these, it doesn't mean I have to drop everything and try to do something for them because that becomes drudgery, but it means that I do see people differently because God sees me for who I really am. I see people for who they really are, people who need a Savior, and I want to share that with them. So this morning, I ask you, is your faith really in Christ Jesus today or is it in just a feeling? Or just something I did to check a box to make mama happy or grandmama happy. Or my wife or my husband or my dad and my mom, whatever. Or you really have this relationship with Christ. And are you practicing what Jesus has called you to do? It's this dance of this incredible faith that we have in a God that loves us that much. But we also say, then I want to do what he tells me to do. I want to do what he practiced because that's who I really follow in my life. It's a dance of the two, of faith and belief and our practices and our actions that show what we really believe about God who created us for relationship. And when we said, I don't want your relationship, God, I can do this on my own, he still pursued us. He came to earth, he lived, he died, he rose again so that we could have that chance. And so this last parable, Jesus saying, don't forget this is coming. I've done all of this for you. This is how much I love you. But don't forget, this is coming, and it's going to be your last chance. That day of judgment is coming. And if you really love me, and if you really love the people that are in your your circle, you need to tell them the truth that they need a Savior. They need a Savior. So this morning, we're going to give that opportunity. Maybe there's somebody here today. You all know this day's coming. Are you prepared for it? And we want to give that opportunity. Or if you want to join a church that, you know what? In this church, we're going to preach God's word. No matter how hard it is. No matter how sometimes we don't agree with it. And we kind of go, man, I don't know about that. People aren't going to like that. They'll stop coming. Still got to preach it. Because it's God's word. And people need to hear it. Because his word is what saves us. His word is what transforms our lives. So we're going to stand. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. The rest of these folks, Ashton, sorry, me to leave you out. So let's stand and let's think about that as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. And if you have a decision, please